Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, pregnancy-focused chiropractor, Dr. Elliot Berlin. My guest today is a mother of three and birther of six. Hmm. She now works as a surrogacy case manager. We'll discuss her experience as a two-time surrogate and how nine months of pregnancy can gift a family a lifetime of joy. Joyce Wheeler, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. Surrogacy is picking up and becoming an option for people when it wasn't in the past. More and more people have the option to start a family this way. And there's a lot of curiosity and not all that much information going around. So as somebody who's lived it and now works in it, I would love to learn with you and share with our audience. Let's start with the beginning. Where are you from originally, Joyce? Originally, I'm here from the Midwest. Uh, Kansas City is my hometown, born and raised. You know, Kansas City Chiefs and the Royals. I'm sure you've heard of them. Yes. So Kansas City, uh, Kansas? Missouri. Uh, Kansas City, yeah. Missouri, the other side. Correct. Yes. The the original side. If you will. <laughs> I see there's a rival going on there. All right. So you grew up in Kansas City. Are you still there? I am. I live about 15 minutes from where I was born, from the hospital I was born in. Wow, it didn't go too far. Nope, not far. <laughs> and then right now, what do you do for work? So now I am a case manager. I oversee gestational surrogacy journeys from the intimate parents, the gestational surrogate. I um, lead them through their entire journey in that whole process. Okay, there must be a way you got into this. Let's start with your own fertility experiences from the time you were little, was pregnancy on your mind? Was being a mother something you thought about? I think the evolution of motherhood came to be not initially. As a child, I was very much focused on being a kid, enjoying life. But as I got older, I actually met my husband uh, in middle school. We definitely weren't thinking about children in middle school. But <laughs> uh, evolution, of course, of our relationship, we did get pregnant young, right out of high school. And I don't like to use the word in error or by accident. It was absolutely not prevented, if you will. So we took it. We took it as it was. We settled down and we started our family early in life, around the age of 18. Okay, that is kind of really special in today's day and age. Terminology goes over my head. Are you saying not intentional, but not unintentional? I would say not planned, but also not prevented. Okay, deliberately not prevented. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Not yeah. like one slipped through Young the cracks. Yeah, definitely. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, we could go there first. What is parenthood like as a teenager, like a late teenager? Yeah, it was an adventure. I think parenting at any age doesn't come with a book. I mean, lots of books have been written, but none of them are very specific to your journey in, in parenthood. And so we were young and we made lots of mistakes as every young parent does as every parent does but to see our children 10 years later to see their growing into who they are as people we get glimpses of the right decisions that we made we have very thoughtful very caring very responsible children and honestly having children young in life i'm grateful that i got to meet them so early and grateful that we got to grow up to an extent together lots of trials and tribulations but i'm forever grateful for that you know, for that, we chose to do that. I don't know how it is in Kansas City, Missouri, but here in Los Angeles, most people, I think, are starting to have kids when you already have a teenager. That is definitely a trend here as well. I'm noticing several people in our community 
have a high schooler, but also have a kindergartner coming in. So that we don't have that. Our children are all about two years apart, with our youngest being 10. And so we experienced all of the chaos all kind of at once, being all two years apart. I don't know if I could imagine going backwards and, and having a newborn at home again. What were your pregnancies like in your birth experiences? My pregnancies were textbook, honestly. I did have morning sickness with all pregnancies. I thought that was what everyone experienced. And I was really blindsided when I found out my siblings didn't have it. I was pretty grumpy about that. Um, Yeah. The morning sickness lasted about until like the maybe 18th to 20th week of pregnancy. Then it subsided. I got that second trimester glow and ambition and nesting. Third trimester rolled around and I was a weeble wobble and it didn't fall down. I just kind of moseyed everywhere that I need to go. Labor came as normal as natural. My first birth itself, my water broke at home straight out of a movie. I saw oh, wow. how all of them were going to go. That was the first sign of labor or you were? No, yeah. Yeah. I oh. had no signs of labor. Looking back, I probably had contracted that whole day, but just kind of brushed it off. False labor. My water broke shortly after watching an episode of The Bachelor. It got my emotions all kind of <laughs> raveled up, and I went to go get up off of the couch. And when I did, I felt a popping sensation internally. And next thing I know, I'm gushing water everywhere. I said, okay, I guess it's time we go to the hospital. So, yeah, Ooh. about four hours later, he was born. Four? Four. Mm-hmm. Wow, so super quick. Did you have, like, any intentions for birth? Had you done any research on, like, I would like it to do it this way or that way? I had gained some insight from friends and family who had already given birth in the past. I knew I wanted to attempt a non-medicated birth, but I had no perception of what that those contractions would feel like. And so going into it, my water broke, and that kind of gave way for that cushion in early labor. That water, that bag of water is that um, almost protection against those painful contractions. And when that gave way 20 minutes later, I was feeling very, very intense waves of contractions and i i think i asked for an epidural the moment i walked into that hospital so it was medicated the first go around Hmm. how was the postpartum and you know taking home a child it seems like a big responsibility for anybody again it just seems in my mind like it'd be even bigger um being so young it was but you only know what you know so postpartum to me I listened to my body I listened to my emotions I was told by the staff at the hospital that I would probably experience highs and lows to validate each emotion and just go with it so for me I did I had postpartum sadness I had postpartum fatigue and eventually we found our rhythm I'd say it took about six weeks to kind of get back my emotional stability And then we just kind of went with it. We had my husband and I, we had a kid and we just lived life. We traveled still. We we bought our first home and we just settled down with our toddler in tow at that point. (laughs) Well, let's take a little break and find out about your other pregnancies of your children and birth experiences and then how you got into surrogacy. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart. 
literally. Omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new Omega-3 Soft Gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back. We're talking to Joyce Wheeler. All right, so your first pregnancy, other than nausea and early first trimester sickness, pretty smooth pregnancy, watch The Bachelor. People always ask me, what can I do to get my baby out? I never thought of watching The Bachelor. The Bachelor's is a foolproof way to go into Will you labor. take this rose? Did you name the baby rose? No, I didn't name the baby rose, but that would have been a really good spinoff to that. Uh, had we, okay. <laughs> uh, had we talked earlier. And then labor, you thought about unmedicated and then water broke, got to the hospital with pretty intense things happening. And also the whole thing was only a four-hour ride. So sounds pretty concentrated like you had a lot of labor over a short period of time and you had your epidural and you brought home a healthy baby and went through that awkward transition we all go through how are your other two pregnancies and birth experiences of your children the second pregnancy was very similar to the first my body was very there was no tip there was no telling i had no idea that i was actually in labor while walking around target jokingly i told my husband i feel a little contraction and he said i don't know if that's a real word and i said well i'm using it so we get to the hospital just to get you know checked out and feeling these these waves and they're very similar to the first go around sure enough i was dialed to a seven so oh wow it was time and they got me hooked up to everything and they said do you want an epidural and i said yes i had it with my first so they started the epidural but by the time the epidural had kicked in i was holding my baby so uh. he very so, two hours for that labor at that point. Kind of the worst of both worlds there. A little bit. I couldn't get up. I couldn't move around after he was here, but and, I and the numbness didn't help you with the birth. Yeah, the numbness it took about five hours to wear off altogether, which to me was kind of funny because all I could think about was why did I even get this? He's already here. I didn't I felt everything. So Yeah, that's what um, I'm saying. <laughs> you don't get yeah. the benefit of the epidural, but exactly. you're stuck there anyway. Okay. Yeah. Uh, lessons learned from your first postpartum experience? Did you take some lessons from that to help with your second? I did. The second time around, I had learned from my first pregnancy that I don't have to accomplish it all, that I don't have to do it all. I think I heavily thought in my first postpartum experience that the house had to be in perfect condition for guests that would come over. I had to look nice. And all of these, like what you see on TV, postpartum experiences, the second time around, I didn't put makeup on. I let the laundry kind of go. At that point, I had a two-year-old and a newborn, and I had to set my expectations back to reality. And we were calm through the chaos of it all, and we got into a rhythm. My secondborn was very, very good at sleeping and just kind of go with the flow, middle child. Um, to this day, he is very much who he was since birth. So the second time around was 
almost easier in an essence because we just we knew what to expect but we also knew to set different expectations interesting some people struggle with the serving two needy customers at the same time after the second baby comes there was a level of balance that my husband and i both had to focus on we had a family not me i'm going through postpartum but so is he he's a dad he's experiencing emotion and i remember after our son was born we were a little bit sleep deprived in those first few days and we were trying to remember we were trying to think two hours ahead look at the clock look at the clock and say we need to feed baby in two hours what time will that be well it was 10 o'clock p.m and we needed to feed the baby at midnight and neither one of us could come up with the time we couldn't think straight and my husband ended up drawing a clock on a piece of paper while looking at the clock on the wall and still we still we're like just set a timer for two hours i don't know <laughs> let's get some sleep so we leaned on each other very much so in, in the second and, and even through the third pregnancy and delivery and that one was vastly different than oh the first tell one. me about that one that sounds juicy <laughs> so <laughs> after the epidural incident with my second birth i figured why even look at epidurals well, that rabbit hole turned into a more holistic approach to pregnancy. I inquired about a doula. So I had a doula at my birth. We looked into placenta encapsulation. We looked into the first breastfeeding crawl. We did all of this research and all of that really came down to just trusting my instincts. I have two children. I've given birth twice before. Let's just see where this goes. And that road was long. My first two labors were four hours and two hours. My third on the clock was 21 and a half hours. And oh, wow. So they averaged out more normal. Yeah. <laughs> That's when it, it kind of, you know, made well, it. How did that one start? That one started at home. I was doing laundry, watching my four-year-old and my two-year-old run around and just be crazy. Contractions started to build. My husband was about an hour away. And so with my previous birthing experience, I assumed it'd be a 45 minute birth. And so I said, you got to get home, get home now. And we got the kids in the car, we got them to the sitter, got to the hospital. And they said, oh, you're at about a five. And I said, that's fine. Get back here in 10 minutes. She'll be here. Well, it wasn't that. And they asked if I wanted an epidural. And I said, no, thank you. I think I'm going to try this unmedicated. And so my body just took its time. Had I had, you know, that 2020 vision, I probably would have stayed at home a little bit longer and labored at home a little bit longer. Yeah. But I had no idea. Right. And based on your history, you know, unless you have a very comfortable car. Yeah, it wasn't the best at that point. I don't know if birth <laughs> in an Equinox is, is highly recommended. So. Oh, it's sporty. Yeah. <laughs> so in the end, was the doula there with you? I mean, were things comforting to you? Do you have a sense of why it took so much longer? I think it took longer because I allowed my body to work through each phase of the, each of the labor. So my doula was there. I had asked that the lights be dimmed. I had Fleetwood Mac playing in the background and I was just enjoying the experience. I had the doctor dancing and the nurses were in there. And I honestly think it took as long as it did because my body was relaxed. I was relaxed. I wasn't tense. I wasn't worried about this giant epidural going in my back. I was just doing what my body was made to do and allowing my daughter to come into the world how she wanted to. So 
had I been at home, I wouldn't have even looked at the clock and I actual total physical labor. So maybe transition or when it got complicated, it was closer to an hour and a half. So the clock may have said 21 and a half hours, but I really felt that last hour and a half of everything. And that's when it became intense and beautiful at the same time, because at that point, without any medication, my body was doing everything. I wasn't pushing, my body was pushing and I was following suit. I would stop and pause when my body would stop and pause. I'd break when my body said, okay, we're done for now. She came into this world very peacefully, very beautifully. They laid her on my lower stomach and we waited. We waited to cut the cord. At that moment, within five minutes of her being born, she started to scooch her way up and start to breastfeed. And that was the most beautiful experience I could have ever imagined having her exactly how I wanted to. Oh, it's so beautiful. And also, I imagine different to just be able to get up and walk around when you want to, you know. Yeah, the experience afterwards with no medication, no time to wear off, I found myself helping the nurses pick up and it was instinctual. I got up, the baby was on my husband's chest and I was tidying up because I wasn't in pain. I, and I had felt better than I had had in years. It was what I assumed to be the birth high. You are on cloud nine. You had just experienced something phenomenal. Yeah, that sounds beautiful. Month nine. Okay, so you're young, you're healthy, you have three very healthy pregnancies and birth experiences. Great candidate to be a surrogate, but how do you get into surrogacy? So everyone's path to surrogacy looks a little bit different. My path to surrogacy was during my healthy pregnancies, during my healthy births and my beautiful children, I was almost surrounded by those facing infertility, specifically my aunt, my mother's sister, who had been in the room the day that my son was born. And I remember celebrating in that moment, but also seeing my aunt in a way that I had not seen her before. She was vulnerable. I could tell that she wanted that experience. I could feel it. But she, uh, due to life itself, due to unforeseen circumstances and diseases that she had had, she's not able to carry. So I remember thinking the day my firstborn came into this world, I remember thinking I could do this specifically for her at that moment. But life took her in another direction and she became a parent through step-parent adoption. But that thought was planted, that seed was planted, and I wanted to give someone else something that my body was capable of doing in a nine-month period. So I found it. I found surrogacy through that. So did you want to become a surrogate so you can carry a baby for your aunt? Initially, yes. My intro into surrogacy was looking at my aunt that day and realizing that she wanted to be a parent and how could I help? I just gave birth. I'm capable of this. Why can't I do this for her? And so that started my path into surrogacy. But you didn't carry for your aunt. I did not. Fate would have it that she was in a relationship. She had started a relationship at that point. He had children and she became a step parent. And so that conversation kind of fizzled when she got her wish of becoming a parent. But the thought of doing something like that, carrying a baby for someone, the emotion that I felt the day my son was born towards my aunt was just as high as ever. I wanted to do that. And so it never left my mind. It just was no longer geared towards that family member. But I still had several family members and friends who were 
facing infertility, unexplained infertility even. Yeah. I mean, we struggled with that for a few years before kids started popping out. And I wonder for you, did you and your partner decide three is our family unit, five people, three kids? We did. Honestly, that conversation was right after our daughter was born. Before my daughter was born, I had this sense, and it's so silly, but sitting around the dinner table, I remember before my daughter was born, before she ever, before I was ever even pregnant with her, I remember always having this feeling like there's someone else. I feel like we're missing someone. And it wasn't like the traditional, oh, we're miss- who's missing? Let, let me count kids. I just had this presence that I felt I needed one more. And I didn't care if it was a boy or girl. We never did. But it was kind of a bonus that we had had two boys and our third and final was a girl. And that was kind of the universe's way of saying, okay, I think we're done. And it felt complete. She came into our world just as perfect as ever. And it very much felt complete. And we were done. Three and through. Beautiful. So you had a surrogate pregnancy after your three. How did you match with that family? So, again, the universe works in very funny ways at times. And I had just gone public, public as in Facebook, as one does with news, that I had been considering surrogacy for quite a while. And I was hoping that friends and family would send good wishes and good vibes and just hope that we found someone. And also, if anyone knows of anyone looking for a surrogate, then to reach out. And so that was late at night, about 30 minutes after that post was made, my husband's aunt reached out to us and she had shared that her and her husband had attempted to build a family and were facing many roadblocks and they had just started considering a surrogate, but there were some apprehensions to their thoughts. And that was, how do we trust a stranger to carry our baby? And I mirrored those apprehensions. My thoughts were, how do I carry a baby for a total stranger? How does this work? And so we continued that conversation over dinner. And a few short months later, I was headed to their clinic for medical screening to establish care at their fertility center and to make sure that my body was where it needed to be to carry a pregnancy for them. Wow. I mean, it's such a... I mean, to me, it's such a huge commitment to even consider. And now I kind of feel the energy where at this point in your story, you're on the path. Let's take a little break. When we come back, we'll find out about your surrogate pregnancies and the work that you're doing now. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We are talking with Joyce. So here's the thing. Now you're on the path to surrogacy. What is the process like for you to find out if you're qualified, if you're, I don't know what you would say, cleared to be a surrogate? So the path to find out if I'm clear to be a surrogate or any woman who's interested in surrogacy, it's a pretty strenuous journey, but those that are capable and willing get through it pretty quickly. So the first step is typically an evaluation by the clinic. And that fertility clinic those the intended parents are connected to is the one that's going to do the evaluation. They're going to do a physical. They're going to check your BMI. They're going to check your pregnancy history and overall health. And then they're going to do a series of tests of their self. So they're going to do lab work. They might do a saline ultrasound, which checks for any sort of blockages in the uterine cavity. 
Some will go on to do what's called an ERA, so that's going to test the sensitivity of the uterine lining. Each clinic has their own protocol, but that's typically the first step is to get medically cleared. Um, you're also going to get psychologically cleared because we want to be sure that we're of sound mind and that we're capable of any hurdles that might come up, that we can communicate those hurdles with our intended parents and be okay to go through it, to, to go through the whole process. So once you're medically cleared and psychologically cleared, then you're looking at the legal clearance of things. So there is a legal contract with surrogacy. The attorneys, you'll have one and your, your intended parents have one. They work together with your surrogate and with yourself to make sure that the contract is beneficial for both sides. That's going to go over parentage and different aspects of the surrogacy journey to make sure everything is done legally as well. I guess there are preferences, right? How do you line up the preferences of the person who is carrying the baby and, you know, has a very physical role that involves their health and their comfort and how they've birthed in the past and maybe how they wish to birth together with, you know, preferences that the intended family might have? So the matching preferences are incredibly important because you are entering into a commitment with each other and you want it to be good. You want it to be beneficial for both sides. And so things like location might be important. Where are you located in comparison to your intended parents? Things like how is your support system? How is their support system? We want to be sure that the intended parents have a good support system to go through the journey with them. We want to make sure that that surrogate has someone that she can lean on throughout the pregnancy. Pregnancy can be tough at times. And so whether that's a spouse or a family member, they have to have that supportive role. Things like termination stands. We don't want to think about termination when we think about surrogacy. We don't want to think about the negatives that could potentially happen. But the truth of the matter is pregnancy in general, can be hard and there can be decisions that come up during utero that need to be decided upon. Who makes that decision? Is it the surrogate? Is it her body, her choice 100%? Or is there room for the parents to also make decisions when it comes to their child? So all of those factors play into matching and we expect total honesty and sometimes it's brutal honesty because life is full of brutal honesty and we want to be sure that we're making the right choice. And it just sounds like there's a lot that can come up for, you know, just opinion. If you think about all the choices that someone might have to make just in their own birth or their own pregnancy, what if the baby's breech or do we want to try to turn the baby or just have a cesarean or give birth to a breech baby vaginally? If the placenta doesn't fully clear the cervix, if you go past your due date, do you want to get induced or wait? Or, you know, there's so many different choices to make that affect both the host and the child and it's a lot to consider at the beginning even if those things never come up i want to go back to you for a minute so how was your first surrogate pregnancy well my first journey was eventful but beautiful all at the same time i had been used to carrying one child at a time and surrogacy allowed me to carry two so i was pregnant with my husband's aunt's twins oh wow yep meaning identical twins or did you put more than one embryo we did we put more than one embryo in. so they were fraternal twins siblings born on the same day the embryos were not selected based off of sex but more so the grading how they were the genetic makeup things like that that were important to us and so when we did the anatomy scan 
we found out we were carrying one boy, one girl. So it couldn't have been more perfect. And they, it couldn't have been identical. And they definitely could have been identical. <laughs> <laughs> so I did get that question often. And even after I said it was really? one boy, one girl. So <laughs> okay. Got some anatomy lessons in there along the way. Um, <laughs> but at that point, my kids were two, four, and six years old. And I was carrying twins. Wow. So wow. It, thinking back to it, how did I make it through that? But living through it was completely different. It was, again, you only know what you know. And so I got my oldest off to school. The younger two were home. We did activities. We hung out. We played. And all the while, these two beautiful babies were growing inside of me. And I was updating their parents every step of the way. And before I knew it, it was time for them to come into this world. And the intended parents were in the room. They got to witness the moment that their babies took their first breath. They had this moment that so many wish and hope for, and I got to be front and center, literally right there to watch everything and be part of everything. Oh my, wow. Yeah. That is it, an insane sort of gift. And just, you know, for them, I can't imagine all the tears in the room at that point. There were a lot of tears because there were a lot of people in that room that day. When you think of twins, you think delivering in the OR. It's not common to deliver outside of the OR because in the event that a C-section is needed, whatever it may be. So I delivered in the OR. I did just, deliver both. Babies. Yeah, just to be clear. Right. That's the thing. Even if you're delivering vaginally, you're still delivering the OR just in case. Just in is case. fairly typical. Okay. So you were planning for a vaginal birth. Were they both head down? Uh, baby A was head down. Baby B was breech. So okay. we did run the risk of potential C-section. One-on-one. Yeah, we had no idea what was going to happen, but I trusted my doctors. I trusted their advocating for everything. No one jumped to a C-section. They just said, let's see what your body does. Let's see what these babies do. What did they do? Um, so baby A came out perfect. He was ready to go, prepared. He had a plan, came right out, no problems. Baby B got really excited about how much room she had all of a sudden. So she turned a little and she did scooch down a little bit, but she also kind of just turned her body in a way that made it a little bit difficult to come out. And so at one point, one doctor said, okay, we're going to prep for a C-section. And then the other doctor in the room said, well, let's try this first. So they did an internal turn of her with oh, wow. contraction. I did have an epidural. And they say, <laughs> throw that in. <laughs> I did have one place just to be safe. But with that slight adjustment with my contraction, she came right out and both babies were there from start to finish from when the contractions really started to pick up and we were in the OR to birth in 22 minutes. I do have a million questions, but we have so much to cover. I'll just ask one of my burning questions, which is how is postpartum for you without coming home with the babies? Meaning it just seems like your body, you had been through it three times and your mind and body are used to that whole pregnancy, birth, in this case, double birth. And then coming home without a baby, what's that like? That is a battle between the body and the mind. And so my body was reactive to just giving birth. My body started to produce milk. My hormones were fluctuating. I was having night sweats, all of these different things. My body would wake me up because it assumed I needed to be feeding these babies that just came out of me. And I had to remind myself that they were home and that they were happy. And I had to really talk myself back down. Like, hey, everything's good. It was an internal struggle for the first few weeks. What about for your kids? Especially, let's say, your six-year-old who had seen you be pregnant twice and come home with a baby. So it was very important for us to 
show our children with what babies were, especially our six-year-old, especially the four. The two-year-old was still a little in her own world. She wasn't really concerned, didn't really think a lot about it, and really couldn't connect the dots even after seeing the babies home with their parents. But my four and my six-year-old, they saw the twins at home with their parents. We went over, we visited. We used that opportunity to say, okay, this is what surrogacy is. I carry these babies because their mom needed my help. Their dad needed my help. They're here and now they're home. They didn't ask if they were their brother and sister. Actually, it gave us an opportunity to have, you know, the dreaded sex talk at such a young age with them because we really talked about genetics. We really talked about these babies don't look like you guys. Let's talk a little bit about that. You know, they actually look like their mom and dad. And here's why. So I think my kids, honestly, out of everyone who experienced my journey with me, were the most receptive. Kids go with the flow. They get it. They had questions, but they understood too. Oh, I have questions. You had another surrogate pregnancy after that. Yep, my sixth and final. <laughs> A sixth and final baby, fifth pregnancy. Everything goes smoothly there? It did. It was a little bit different because I matched with intended parents who I had never known before. We matched. It was a match call with strangers. So it's a little bit nerve-wracking, some butterflies, and who are these people, and how is this going to work? And by the end of the call, that first initial call with them, I felt so at peace with them, and so that the universe had sent us directly to each other. Five and a half years later, I get to watch them as a family with their daughter. And again, one of the greatest gifts to really watch a family grow and know that I got to be part of that. And it was absolutely amazing. Everything was perfect. So grateful for that as well uh why'd you stop at six i'm listening to my body okay you know i i go back and forth i think most surrogates who have gone on to have more than one journey we have this constant thought process that if my body allows i will do it again so it's not off the table but it's it's not something you're pursuing (laughs) right you know it, it is what it is and if the universe allows potentially but i would follow my doctor i'd follow my doctor's guidance i'd listen to my body because i would never want to jeopardize embryos or anyone's ability to build their family just because i want to be a surrogate or yeah or your body or you know and your family who loves you and needs you so but i have heard surrogates say a little bit it's like getting a tattoo well maybe i'll just get this one little butterfly and then before you know you're like i want to get another one all right you are now a case manager at Fairfax Surrogacy, and I would love to know a tiny bit about both. What does a case manager do, and what is Fairfax Surrogacy? Awesome. So a case manager essentially is your guide from start to finish. Our process is that I'm working with intended parents first. They're going to come to us. They're curious. They want to know how our process works. Maybe they're just starting out. Maybe they have a clinic. Maybe they even have embryos. They're just looking for that perfect supportive agency. So I'm meeting with the families first. Once they decide to move forward with us, I'm going to have them build their profile. Once their profile is built, we start circulating that to our potential surrogates based off those matching criteria that we work so hard to make sure we want. Once they're matched, I'm guiding them through the entire process from medical screening to legal contracts to pregnancy to postpartum. And I get updates on first birthdays. Today is actually a first birthday for a few of my surrogate babies. Oh, wow. (laughs) It's the gift that keeps on giving. Are you the case managers only for the intended parents, or do you also work with the surrogate? I work with both. So I would work with the intended parents, and then I will help them with the matching process. 
Once they're matched, I will work with both the intended parent and the surrogate throughout the entire process. So they always have that one point of contact because you are you're introduced to quite a bit of people during the journey from the attorneys to the counselors, to the medical staff. And it's nice to have that one constant. And that's in essence what an agency is. It's your point of contact, someone to guide you through the process entirely. Where is Fairfax Surrogacy located and do you have to be there to utilize the services? So Fairfax is located in Maryland. Our entire team is remote. We do have our founder of the growth and development on the East Coast, but I'm in the Midwest. We have someone in Hawaii, Texas. I mean, we're kind of all over the place. So you definitely don't have to be in the area because you don't typically visit our headquarters. So any parent anywhere, I'm parents all over the world at this point, which I'm eternally grateful for because I feel so blessed to have so many different people from all over the world and all of the different backgrounds and lifestyles. But no, anywhere and everywhere that, that surrogacy is practiced, I guess. Well, Joyce, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, sharing your own personal story and your two personal surrogate stories firsthand and sharing with me and our audience a bit more about how surrogacy works. Where can we find you online? Super simple. We're at fairfaxsurrogacy.com. You can email me too at info at Any one of us can answer any questions and get you connected. Amazing. Thank you again for joining me on at home. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more pregnancy and parenting information, visit us online at informedpregnancy.com. I got a whole lot of questions for you. This kid's gonna test my-